When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Low snap. Roar. Throws it to Mims. Touchdown. Denzel Mims, number three. Lawrence out of the gun. Looking downfield. Looking deep. Looking for Higgins, and that's how he caught it! He came up with it! He is in the end zone! Touchdown! What a grab by Higgins! 62 yards for the Tigers! Ah, wide receivers. They will be at the top of everyone's mock draft and draft sim over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to the NFL draft. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. We've got uh, some fun guests for you. Catherine Terrell will come up. Uh, She covers New Orleans Saints for ESPN at 2.30. And we're going to talk to a linebacker from Florida, David Reese Jr. I'm sorry, the second. And uh, I'm very interested to find out. He's a guy that's sort of on the bubble of being drafted, how he is making a name for himself when we are dealing with quarantining. So let's start off with wide receivers, Courtney. Uh, I wrote for our website about the plot if you were going to ignore receiver in the first round or even in the second round and kick that down the road. And it does fill a lot of positions right away. It just leaves you walking a pretty serious tightrope with the receiver position. Sure. And I think that a first-round receiver is the route that this team has to go in order to address the concerns that you have now in filling a very big void left by Stephon Diggs. Now, I wrote something this morning uh, just kind of in evaluating where Irv Smith goes from here. And I think it honestly is very possible that the Vikings could already have a big chunk of a replacement in Diggs already on their roster with Irv Smith because, as we know, tight ends were pretty underutilized for the most part in the passing offense last year. And when you think about how important the tight end is when Gary Kubiak is calling the plays and from his offenses over the last 15 years or so as an offensive coordinator or head coach, uh, that typically is the number three receiver. Now, that's obviously part of the equation, but you still have to factor in they need that guy, and it's probably going to come from the draft. And an article today, I know that you referenced yours, uh, what you and I have also talked about with T. Higgins. It's an article that Matt Bowen of ESPN wrote, uh, and just kind of why he would fit in this offense and what he brings to a very heavy play-action system. I feel like we got a lot of pushback. Um and I yesterday did a draft, did a draft sim where 
uh, I took Higgins in my mock and uh, really did not sit well with a lot of people. And I was kind of surprised by that, to be quite honest with you. I've done one with Denzel, had Denzel Mims in several of my mocks before. Uh, that didn't seem to bother people, but I don't know if it was Higgins himself or just the thought of a first-round receiver, which is why I think we kind of need to dive into that and debunk the notion of, you know, where have all the good first-round receivers gone? Because, yeah, it's been a couple years where you haven't seen, like, a big multitude of these first-round receivers, A, chosen, and all, B, pan out. I don't know if this team, is, this fan base is still gun-shy with what's happened with Cordero Patterson and Laquan Treadwell, but mm-hmm. I think it's something we certainly need to address because this is a major hole they have to address early. Well, uh, let me just uh, touch on the first part first with whether it was T. Higgins that people would specifically have a problem with. NFL.com compares him to A.J. Green, so I'm good with that. And if you think that you know which receivers are going to succeed and which aren't, I have yes. a, a news flash for you there. You don't. Because Laquan Treadwell, if you go back and do all the research on him, you will find that a lot of people, a lot of draft analysts, everybody who studies this thing, a lot of teams had him above Michael Thomas. That's not how the cookie has crumbled, but that's football in the draft for you. You draft based on your process, and Laquan Treadwell was a big star in college. He was thought of that the the injury was still kind of hampering him a little bit and that he would get even faster as he went along. And he was the contested catch guy. He put up huge statistics at a very big school. I mean, so there's lots of reason to say this is a guy that will succeed in the NFL. It did not happen because he couldn't separate and didn't know route running as well as he needed to. Maybe you learn from that. But if you go through, there's a lot of receivers over the last few years who there was every reason to think they would succeed or every reason to think that they wouldn't. How about even take DK Metcalf last year? Drops in the second round. Everyone's like, oh, his hips are too stiff or whatever. And they found the, the right role for him, and he used his freakish athleticism, and it worked out. So you don't know which are going to work out. We can only talk about the process of whether they should pick one high or whether they should wait. There's no doubt that they need a wide receiver. I do wonder about putting all of your eggs in one basket as opposed to drafting someone, say, in the second and then someone else in the third and giving yourself two shots. And last year is is one of the reasons that I think that, uh, because the top guys were largely last year pretty good. Marquise Brown was good. Uh, Nikhil Harry's not good. But Debo Samuel and A.J. Mm-hmm. Brown were both excellent. But then you get into the second and third round, and Metcalf worked out. Deontay Johnson for the Steelers worked out. Terry McLaurin looks like he could be a straight-up star. So, And even Hunter Renfro goes in the fifth, becomes at least a, a starting wide receiver. So I look at it, if you're giving me those two options, take someone one guy at 22, or take one in the second and one in the third. I probably take the latter option in a really deep draft. But that's the thing. How can you be so sure that the guys that you would want that are on your board at the positions that you want it the second or third round are going to be there? By the time you would draft in the second or third round, assuming you're saying either trade back from where you are in the first round to get more picks or use 25, 22 and 25 differently. Like, we've gone through a lot of the mock drafts, and certainly you cannot predict or really truly know how it's going to shake out on draft night, where the run is going to start, but yeah. you can kind yeah. of project that. I mean... Rick Spielman talked to us about it last year, projecting the run on guards. Or was that two years ago uh, when they started to see it happen in the first round after they took Mike Hughes? I'm pretty sure it was the first, yes, two years ago. Um, Like, teams are tracking this stuff, and when you're 
in the draft room, wherever it is on draft night, that's something that you have to be cognizant of. And I don't think it would be a reach at that point to get somebody at 25. I mean, I think cornerback should be your number one concern, trying to fill that hole and, and address that with 22, because there's probably going to be a host of picks that you know are high on your board that you would like to have at that position. But also, why not three picks later? Go and address somebody for to try to fill the void or begin to fill the void and, and compete for that number two receiver job along with Tajay Sharp. Um, why not do it there? Because I just I just don't think you can hedge all your bets considering where we've seen the run happen in previous years and also where a lot of draft analysts are projecting the run to happen uh, from this receiver group that you'll be able to get the value for what you want at your second or third round pick. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with a second or third round receiver. And I know uh, in referencing the draft that got people all cranky yesterday was I actually took Denzel Mims. It was Higgins when we had Austin Gale on the show on Tuesday uh, and he drafted it and that was the one where... Uh, I traded up to get Tristan Wirfs and realized that that was not smart, so I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> um, but yesterday, it's like I got, in my drafts in, the way that it, it shook out was I got a fourth-round pick, and I spent it, I had a fourth-round pick, and I spent it on Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota, who is, I don't know if it's just like a local bias that we have here, and obviously seeing him in Big Ten games throughout the 2019 season, but also seeing where his draft stock has risen. I think you can get good value and get another receiver there. But when it is this big of a glaring need, and when you just can't rely at 25 or 20, 25 or 22 on drafting an offensive tackle and expecting he's going to be right away ready for you in the NFL, I think you're better served to get a receiver there. Yeah, I usually don't think much about how much they can impact right away because it's not how Well, this team's going to have to. Yeah, I know, but this right. team's going to no, have no, to. That is the reality of the situation. They yeah. have put themselves in this situation above any other year. They have to hit on their draft picks, yeah. particularly at like three positions right now, because that's just the nature of what happened in free agency. And I and I don't think you can ever realistically expect that. I don't disagree with what you just said. This team has to hope to hit on those draft picks. It's just for me, if I'm draft simming and if I'm the general manager who's not worried about losing his job, so you're just doing it comfortably thinking about the direction of your team, then I'm thinking much more of let's make sure that we get people who can... Uh, you know, be players for us for a very long time. But I'm running a draft sim right now to just see how this works out and at the same time poking through some path, past history. If we go back to the 2018 draft, so you have DJ Moore and Kelvin Ridley are the first two wide receivers picked, and they're both okay. Um, Ridley had a bunch of touchdowns two years ago. Moore is kind of the only guy for the Panthers. But we get into the second round and the third round, and there's still guys who have been impact players for teams. And I guess that's where my philosophy comes from is, you know, like someone like Cortland Sutton, who might be a star, DJ Shark for um, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Michael Gallup for the Dallas Cowboys. Those are all good wide receivers in the NFL taken in the second and third round. And me doing my draft sim here, if I take first Javon Kinlaw and Trayvon Diggs as my first two picks, I still end up with, with my third and fourth pick, Michael Pittman Jr. and K.J. Hill Mm -hmm. from Ohio State, who was really good at the uh, Senior Bowl. And if you're asking me, do I think that there's a better chance that either Michael Pittman Jr. or K.J. Hill becomes a very good wide receiver or the guy that we take in the first round becomes a great wide receiver, I would say I'm going to take the shot at probably hoping for one of those guys becoming good as opposed to, hey, the late first round 
wide receiver that often goes bust, but could potentially boom as well. You just can't project it, though. Like, that's the thing. I mean, you can't project that they're going to hit on somebody in the fifth round. I just don't buy that logic that, oh, they did it with Stephon Diggs in 2015. They can do it again. They trust their scouting process. Right now, it's more important than ever. Like, yes, that's all very true. But how can you project that? And if you are a team that's in win-now mode, and that's the conundrum here. We don't really know what they are. That's the fact. We do not know what they are, what mode they are truly in. We have not talked to Rick Spielman since free agency. We have not talked to Mike Zimmer. To hear like, from what's them. up with that? Um, I mean, but it's also like, what, what are they? Can you can see that they're doing a rebuild? Because if you can, then, then jobs are on the line, and then it doesn't really matter at this point what happens in the draft. But, you know, if you are in win-now mode, jobs, everything on the line, things do matter about hitting on these picks. That's reality, because you are fighting to keep your job at that point, because we have not heard about any extensions, anything that's happened um, in that realm. But it's, you know, I, I just, there, there are a lot of, were we so spoiled? With the 2014 draft class, with Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., Brandon Cooks, Calvin Benjamin, are we not over that yet? Like, because, yeah, that was unprecedented of how much those guys, as rookies in 2014, were able to produce. We're probably not going to, that was an anomaly. We're not going to see that again. But not every year is going to be like the 2018 draft class of receivers, or even beyond that. You can even go back years before then and pick, like, just really bad classes. Like, I just think when it is such a high priority to assume that you will make the same sort of impact. Like you could a running back and say that you'd pick a second or third round running back and treat the receiver position the same. I just don't think that's the right logic to take here, especially when it is such a glaring need for this team. So let me go through a few because history, recent history, does kind of speak well of second and third round wide receivers. So 2016, Sterling Shepard, who's a good player but often injured, Michael Thomas and Tyler Boyd are the second rounders. And all three of them have become good NFL players, much better than the first round that year. And when we go to 2017, you still have Juju Smith-Schuster in the second, Cooper Cup in the second. I'm not, I'm not saying there's no busts because there's busts all over the place. But a lot of times it's just an area in my mind that there are a lot of very good wide receivers that you could potentially land. And last year, with the fact that someone like Terry McLaurin is a third-round pick mm-hmm. and DK Metcalf in the second, the reason in, for me is because there's so many good ones that somebody slips through the cracks every time. I think we all knew last year that Terry McLaurin was a very good prospect, and he just sort of kept sliding down the board because there were a lot of other guys that they were interested in. And I think that this draft has that potential, too. Now, I'm not saying that I would pass up on Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs, but if it's Denzel, one Denzel Mims or Michael Pittman Jr. and K.J. Hill, I'm taking Michael Pittman Jr. and K.J. Hill. I'm having a hard time with this because I'm trying to draft Sim as we talk, and I'm going through this in the scenario (laughs) of, Courtney, you are not allowed to pick a receiver in the first round. And that's fine. But at 22, I just got Eter Grossmatos, who uh, is the edge rusher from Penn State. Um, And when I'm sitting here at 25 waiting... I can either go with Xavier McKinney, the safety out of Alabama. Neville Gallimore still available, but I think there would be an uprising if there were two defensive linemen taken and back-to-back picks and a cornerback not addressed. Do I go all the way down? The next corner, the best next cornerback available is AJ Terrell from Clemson. Sure, I would. I don't think I'd be overdrafting there because on this board he's right about where I'd expect. 
But then I'm passing up people who are still on my board, like T. Higgins, like Brandon Ayuick, I-, I-, I believe his name is, the guy from Arizona State. Yeah. Um, Denzel Mims is still there. Like, I-, I just, if this is the way that we're projecting it, and those players are available, particularly Higgins and Mims, who you and I have talked about at length being good fits for this team and this mm-hmm. offense, why would you pass them up? Why would you say, oh, well, we're overdrafting, we could do that in a second or third round and be just fine? Like, there's no reason to be gun-shy because of what happened years ago with Laquan Treadwell and you didn't get Michael Thomas. Okay, big deal. All of the intel on Treadwell was the same. Like, I think we honestly need to move on from that because a lot of the thing, my mentions on Twitter, people bring that up as an example, and it's like, okay, that's, that's just not relevant right now. Well, no, of course not. I mean, if, everyone's different. I, for me, it's entirely about an odds play. Like, what, where am I more likely to get a very good receiver uh, and reduce my odds of having this thing go bust? Like you mentioned, you need someone to make an impact right away between two good receiver prospects versus one great receiver prospect. I just think the odds would lean toward two good receiver prospects have a better chance of one of them making an instant impact. And, okay. may, and maybe if you're lucky, they both turn out to be really great players and you have two. But more likely than not, if you draft two of them, that one of them is going to be a good player. The other one maybe not as good. Um, but if you're putting all of your uh, eggs in the one basket, if the guy goes bust, you're just sort of... Sure. S- SOL, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I get, I get it. I get it. And if you have a second or third round guy, if you wait, and, and I just went through this, um, I told you I got uh, Gross Matos from Penn State, and then tw- at 25, I took uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. So my second round pick, the guys that are available at receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Michael Pittman, um, Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky, I think, and K.J. Hamler is still there as well. I think any of those guys would be good fits for you. And, and for the case, what we're making right now, I'll go ahead and take the player from Michigan. Then you're anticipating, and this is maybe the way that they go, that if they if they do do this ladder route and they say, hey, we understand we really like Denzel Mims, we really like uh, T. Higgins. Obviously, if they had any chance of Judy or C.D. Lamb dropped, definitely want to try to scoop them up, especially Judy because of how good he is as a yeah, route runner. Yeah, that's the exception for sure. Yeah, like that's definitely the exception to the rule. But if you're going this second strategy where you're like, well, we need to address cornerback, we need to address the defensive line, maybe even an offensive tackle, then you're thinking, okay, Irv Smith Jr., and, and they really liked what they saw from him. He had a really good rookie season and is primed for a nice breakout year in 2020. Um, then you're anticipating that he's kind of in that mix and he's going to be taking on a huge part of that target share and filling the void. And then maybe you won't even need to ask ask that much from the number two receiver or at least put as many expectations right. as you would expect um, on a rookie because you could split that up between Tajay Sharp, whomever you draft. In this case, for me, it was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um in the second round, and then maybe even get a Michael. Um, help me here. Why, I just Tyler Johnson. Why do I keep wanting to call him Michael Johnson, like the runner? What is wrong with me? So fast in '96. Um, it's just yeah, weird. Uh, but no, I mean I could understand it from from that if you're looking at it that way. But let's stop acting like first round receivers are a complete bust and a waste of a pick. Especially right. yeah, of course not. You know, I mean. There are the exception to the rule, like what you mentioned, the guys that are probably going to be top 15 picks in in both C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. I mean, they are the elite of this class, but there are also some really, really talented guys that are going to be on the board there that if the Vikings don't take them at 22 or 25, other teams are going to. 
Yeah, no, no, you're right. Um, the, the thing about where they're at with 22 and 25 is that someone will drop. We just don't know who. And I would change this entire conversation if it's one of the top receivers. I mean, if Henry Ruggs is there or if Jerry Judy is there, then I, then I would say, oh, well, of course, take them because they're the guy that dropped. Sure. You, you had them as the eighth best player on your board and you end up with them at 22. Then you've got to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at this draft, I got a tweet from Ben who said it's a historic receiver draft, so you want to take one in the first. I look at it the opposite way. If it's a historically deep draft, then you want to take one not in the first. You want to take one later on because the difference between even the best players and your second rounders are not going to be that much different in terms of what the quality of the prospect. And and that's the way that I'm looking at it. I would still say the odds are decently high that they would take someone like Denzel Mims or T. Higgins. Uh, I want to know, I, I wrote down a bunch of combinations for potential positions here because people will tweet me and say, what do you think of T. Higgins? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Good? I mean, do, do you want to know about his burst off the line of scrimmage or something? Like, I mean... They're all good prospects if they're going to be first-rounders. So to me, it's more about position and then process. Like, if you're the number one pick and you draft Justin Herbert instead of, you know, Joe Burrow, I wouldn't say, well, they're probably both good, like, because your process would be terrible. But anyway, so I have, in terms of the most likely, four of them. Cornerback slash wide receiver, so 22 and 25. Defensive lineman and offensive tackle. Cornerback and offensive tackle. And defensive lineman and wide receiver. Which do we think they could get the most value out of for a the two position like combination mm-hmm. at, at 22, 22 and, 25. and 25? Yeah. Honestly, my gut feeling at least just from you know, I would still go with cornerback and wide receiver. That's probably my one. And then did you say that I was allowed to go cornerback defensive lineman? Uh well, you can if you want. Sure, I, why not? That's probably my number 2. Okay. I, I just think- don't think with a tackle um, I mean, and I'm also still waiting on to see what happens the next few weeks because it's been so quiet. And if they still are in on Trent Williams at any at any point, yeah, like, that's going to come to a head around the time of the draft. So it's quiet right now. But you know, if they get if they draft a tackle there, then that's somebody at least in my mind you're conceding is not going to be ready to play until 2021. But and that's fine if you can get through this year and you can make it to the wild card round at least. Um, you know, and, and certainly now it makes their case a lot better to do that with the expanded playoff format. But I'm just trying to think of people's job security and what happens if this goes belly up and yeah. if if yeah. all in mode turns into a massive reboot, turning into a massive rebuild, then then we're not then we're potentially looking at a change across the board of the coaching staff and front office. So then next year is completely different. So I'm trying to I'm trying to think of this through the process of, hey, we have to win games now because we might not have jobs in twenty twenty one. So that's why I'm a little hesitant to expect an offensive tackle at that part of the draft is going or even, you know, I don't think it would be a guard at all because we know the guard class is not what it was a year ago. But even still I just don't know that that's what they would do, especially if you already have two tackles in place and your biggest concerns on the interior. Yeah, you have it right in my mind in terms of what their approach will probably be, which is we have to fill these spots. We have to have successful rookies right away who contribute quite a bit or at least are average players with potential in the future. I look at it as from a realistic view that there is that's not a thing like 
drafting to just think you're going to fill spots is not a thing that exists. It's not a thing that you can put your finger on. You can draft those positions if you want, but whether they work out or not, you have no idea. And a lot of times, and this goes for NFL teams complaining that they won't get their pro days or whatever with guys, a lot of times it's just a crapshoot no matter what. I mean, sometimes you can have the best process and think you got the best guy and even get a good prospect and he gets hurt. I mean, the the... Think about Delvin Cook and Mike Hughes. Like both of those guys looked like they were going to make significant impacts year one, and then they both tear ACLs and then go, you know, even Mike Hughes into the following season. And that's a guy that you thought, okay, well, he looks good in training camp, and maybe he can play nickel corner and beat Mackenzie Alexander, and then he's hurt, and you know, he gets a pick six in his first game. And it doesn't really matter the rest of the season because he gets injured. So in my mind, if you're taking that approach, you have already gone past go. And you've already gotten to the point where you're in trouble yourself. And you're just hoping that you roll the right number. And if you pick offensive, if you pass up on a good offensive tackle prospect because you desperately think you need a number two wide receiver or you desperately think you need a starting defensive end or a starting corner, that's where... To me, you're getting yourself into a lot of trouble with that because it's not really a, a possibility that you could just fill those spots, or or at least the odds of you doing it, filling those spots in year one, is not very high at 22 and 25. No, I agree. I think that that's a very fair point. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, this was fun. This is a good start to the show. No, there's a, there's a lot here. We didn't even get to touch on Trayvon Diggs yet, oh, which I, I know, know that we, will. we can save for 3 o'clock. Uh, and I've got hot routes as well. Also, at 3 o'clock, David Reese II, who's a linebacker from Florida, a guy who's fighting for his draft status, essentially, but is presumably quarantined like the rest of us. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about just what his process is of trying to get his name on the radar for NFL teams. That comes up at 3 o'clock. Coming up next, Catherine Terrell, who covers the New Orleans Saints for ESPN. We will talk with her about the Saints offseason, and they're pushing all their chips to the table in the middle of the table with Emmanuel Sanders. So we will discuss when we return on Purple Daily. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North mobile app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Over on the free Score North mobile app and scorenorth.com right now, Matthew Collar has an article that he just posted about an hour ago about whether Gary Kubiak can keep it all together, how his influence will hopefully keep everything in the Vikings organization together, especially that offense that they seem to be shedding pieces on by getting rid of his top one of his top wide receivers just a couple weeks ago. That is an article that is free over at scorenorth.com and the free scorenorth mobile app. That's been your scorenorth download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. We welcome in from The Athletic. She covers the New Orleans Saints. Catherine Terrell. What's up, Catherine? How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you guys? Oh, not too bad. It's been a while since we shared clams together and, and such uh, in New Orleans after the Vikings beat the Saints. Um, everything has been uh, kind of, I guess you would say, in New Orleans Interesting for the offseason. Your head coach got coronavirus. He was drawing up plays on Twitter. You're doing the draft from a brewery, and you have Emmanuel Sanders. So, where do you want to start? 
I mean, is that not normal? That's pretty normal. <laughs> also, right? it was For oysters. Me. Let me just interrupt oh, oysters, really quickly sorry. because Matthew is, is just showing his like cultural ineptitude right now. It was <laughs> fried right. oysters My and dragos. My, My goodness. Okay. What? Well, regardless, I would give anything to be eating oysters or clams with y'all at Dragos right now. <laughs> and will again one day. Don't the Vikings come to New Orleans this year? They do. They do. Well, there, there you go. Clams. Gonna, that game will happen. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, this, it's been totally weird off-season for the Saints, which means it's been completely normal. Um, don't know which one you want to address first, but I, when I saw the news that Sean Payton got coronavirus, I was just like, I mean, if it's going to happen to any team, it's going to happen to this team because they just seem to attract the weird and the odd and, and whatnot. But, you know, he said he's been cleared for six days, seven days now, and uh, feeling much better, so they're back to draft prep, so... Um, that's definitely good to hear. Speaking of the draft, I want to address uh, the news that came out, I guess, within the last few days that the Saints will are planning to be doing the draft with their essential personnel, maybe not everybody involved, but a good number of their personnel at a brewery. Now, this obviously caught... Uh, caught wind. Once it caught wind, I guess a lot of people thought this was an outlandish idea. However, you live down there and you actually know the logistics and this is not some place that's just in the middle of the French Quarter that anybody could come by. Can you explain kind of what the process is or at least what they hope to be happening on draft night and where everybody hopes to be and why it's at a brewery? Well, actually, I thought it was interesting that there's a memo go out today apparently that now says teams might be able to hold the draft in their facility, which is kind of a 180 from what they've been saying, that the facilities are closed until at least April 8th. So, yeah, what the Saints did is they – Mrs. Benson owns a lot of different properties. One of them is Benson Tower, which is right in the middle of downtown New Orleans. Not really – I mean, downtown New Orleans is kind of dead right now. I did just walk through it this morning. But still, you don't really want to be in New Orleans proper right now. So she also owns this brewery that actually just opened in January. So it's um, practically brand new. It's out in New Orleans East, which is a 20-minute drive from downtown New Orleans. So it's, I mean, no one is going there to hang out. It is this huge space. Um, I think it has, a, I assume it has a fence around it. I don't know. No one's going to be walking by it. You're away from all the foot traffic. And it has a lot of boardrooms so they can set up and, like a big boardroom and, and kind of distance themselves. Actually, Peyton joked since he's had coronavirus already, no one wants to sit next to him, even though he, from what he's been told, he's not going to be able to get it again or spread it. Although, you know, of course, we learn new things every day. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a little overblown. I think every team is probably doing something like that. They were just maybe smart enough not to say they had made alternate plans. Uh, yeah, so far we haven't heard anything about what the, the Vikings are, are going to do, Catherine. Now, Drew Brees comes back. Taysom Hill is the best quarterback of all time, though, so uh, that's interesting. What is the deal is. with Taysom Hill and this organization and the way that they talk about him? Because it's almost like they think they have their Steve Young who's going to take over for their Joe Montana. I don't see it, even though Taysom Hill kills the Minnesota Vikings. But in terms of his history as a quarterback, it doesn't scream to me this guy is going to be the next great starter in New Orleans. Why are they so obsessed with him? Well, first of all, uh, they actually did compare him to Steve Young a few months ago. Yeah, that was a comparison made back in August. It has been a long, long year of Taysom Hill comparisons. 
I mean, look, the guy has something special. I mean, that's obvious. If you watched him against the Vikings, as you did, he's the only one who could do anything on that field. But I'm maybe Mr. Cynic, and I'm saying he hasn't even thrown 20 NFL passes yet. So let's pump the brakes. I mean, the Saints also said Garrett Grayson and Ryan Griffin were going to be the, the heir apparent, or it was heavily implied, and they're long gone off the team. So, I mean, I, I think Hill has a special quality, but – I mean, and obviously with him being able to do all these different roles, as an NFL player, that's not easy to be shuffled from meeting room to meeting room and Mm -hmm. somehow excel at all these different things. I mean, that's a good quality he has. But as for he's Drew Brees' heir apparent, I mean, I think that's a wait-and-see thing. But I'm sure we'll get 90 more Taysom Hill stories circulating (laughs) before the draft gets here in uh, 21 days? 21 days. Something like that. Uh, I think like 90. I feel like there was something nice and comforting about the way that the Saints approach this offseason where, you know, amid a lot of chaos in the real world and then in the NFL world, there was a lot of change. The one constant thing was that the Saints were, you know, by and large, keeping a lot of continuity. You mentioned Drew Brees and what's likely his final contract, uh, but keeping the core of this team together, but also improving so they could potentially top that 13-3 and run that they went on last year with the signing of Emmanuel Sanders. Now, you just think pairing him with with Michael Thomas could arguably lift them to the number one receiver duo in the NFL. How do you view this, and how do you view kind of what this is going to do for this offense throughout this 2020 season? Yeah, I think it could be the piece that they needed. I mean, I hesitate to say that because we've said that before years ago when they signed Jarrett Bird, and it was kind of a disaster. I mean, two completely different situations. But I, they, they alluded to trying to go after Sanders in the fall and weren't able to get him. I mean, they desperately needed a wide receiver. And, I mean, Sanders even said, hey, Drew Brees has signed for two more years. I'm going to sign for two years. I went there to play with him. So everything they've done, I even wrote about this at length, screams to me that they believe it's Drew's last season, even though he hasn't said it yet. And all the offseason moves are to make them good right now. I mean, they're already good, but – they did an unusual thing in that they went and got older players. Like they didn't sign 25 year old Von Bell and they signed Malcolm Jenkins, who's in his thirties. They signed Emmanuel Sanders, who probably doesn't have that many years left. So I, I found that very interesting, but I mean, Sanders still has some tread on the tires. Um, I think he can play in multiple positions. I mean, this could be a, a dangerous team again, especially when you think about Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook, uh, Drew Brees. Should he play well this year? So, I mean, they're, they're pretty well set to make another run. Talking with uh, Catherine Terrell, she covers the New Orleans Saints for The Athletic. Well, I was going to go there because uh, Courtney and I have a little bit of experience with the team that pushes all the chips to the middle of the table, and it doesn't exactly work out um, over the last two years. So, you know, we know this, that your chance to win is very brief in the NFL, and you sort of go up and down and up and down. It feels to me, Catherine, like the Saints over these last couple of years have had a peak of a lot of great players. They drafted extremely well. They filled out the roster around Drew Brees, and he's played excellently. But I can't decide whether it's one more of those years and their last shot at it, or if it goes down the other side of the mountain and everyone goes, Wow, the Saints with that roster ended up going six and ten. Who would have figured? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of things that could go wrong for this team. I mean, they're relying, as I just said, they're relying on a lot of 
older players to play at the level they have been playing at. And everyone knows that is, I mean, that is no sure thing. You expect Drew Brees to play like December Drew Brees and not how he played in the playoff game. You expect Jared Cook to get another year out of him at a position where, I mean, the decline goes quickly at tight end. And um, Malcolm Jenkins, same thing. I, I don't see them as, as a team that will get a losing record. I mean, I really do see them, even if some things go wrong, as a team that can make the playoffs. But can they get all the way? I don't know. But, I mean, I really think this could be their shot. They do have a, a lot of young guys, and maybe that bodes well for the future. But, I mean, I think once Breeze leaves, it's going to be a very different team. So it's we keep saying this every year, but I, I think this is it. They they have to win this year or else salary with some salary cap issues and things like that, it's going to be a very different team in 2021. Yeah, with that said, and where they're drafting at 24, how do you think they handle that? Is this a situation where they could trade back? Because right now the, the nucleus of this team and all the pieces that they added in free agency – show you that most of the heavy lifting is already done. And when you're thinking about down the line where salary cap concerns, I mean, eventually the bill's going to come. They they keep getting by yeah. with kicking this can down the road, but eventually they're not going to be able to spend the way that they have been. And obviously with the quarterback situation and having to replace Breeze down the road, other positions of need, how do you see them handling what they're doing at 24, potentially moving back to build for the future? Well, they seem to be allergic to moving back, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to doubt it. I mean, it, it's fun to cover Saints draft. It's totally different than Bengals draft because uh, when I covered the Bengals for ESPN, they, I mean, they're not a team that makes many trades or anything like that. I mean, man, I went three years. They barely signed any free agents. And then I leave, and not only are they going to get Joe Burrow, but they just go crazy. But anyway, another topic for another time. But um, the Saints only have five draft picks, so I, I see them – staying put where they are in the first round unless somehow they figure out how to move up and taking a wide receiver or a linebacker. They had a solid linebacker core at the beginning of this season, but it fell apart due to injuries. Kiko Alonso is coming off an ACL. Alex Anzalone has had a shoulder issue for years. Demario Davis played outstanding, but you have to have two people surrounding him. So linebacker or wide receivers is probably where I see them going um, in the first round. Catherine, before, probably, I, yeah. Okay. I meant they probably stay put too. Sorry. No, that's okay. Before before we let you go, I, I wanted to get your opinion on Teddy Bridgewater going to the Carolina Panthers. He goes five and zero as the Saints starter last year and earned himself a heck of a lot of money. But he didn't exactly join a team that is a Super Bowl contender like the team that he just came from. From seeing him uh, up close and personal in those games last year, how do you think that's going to go in Carolina? Yeah, I mean, as a person, you know, you all know Teddy. I know Teddy. We all want him to have success. I have my doubts, the cynic of me coming out again, um, just that it'll translate to Carolina because if you actually watch the Saints games, the offense is very compromised. Now, I mean, you could say it was Drew Brees' offense and Teddy was basically just doing what they asked him to do, not making mistakes, not turning the ball over, and winning, and that's the most important thing. But – I'm very curious to see what he does when he goes to Carolina. And, and if after all this time, can he put the team on his back and, and win? So, I, I mean, I hope all the best for him. But I am just intrigued to see what a Teddy Bridgewater offense looks like in uh, 2020. I almost forgot what year it is. It's been that long. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's been that long in isolation. <laughs> and in an extremely tough division, at least for uh, next year. Well, uh, great to catch up with you, Catherine. I am hoping that we see you again in New Orleans, and it's the exact date that the game is currently scheduled for, and we all forgot that coronavirus ever happened by the time we're together again. We will be at Drago's within the next year. I promise. It's optimism. Okay, write that down. You and I are going to Pat O'Brien's afterwards. We need a nice porch session. Of course, because I walked by Bourbon Street today and everything's boarded up. So I got to make my uh, trek to Pat O'Brien's once it opens again. I was supposed to be there in New Orleans right now and not working for the women's final four. I had scheduled the trip. Uh-huh. I got the flight and everything else. And I, my wife has never been there. So I wanted to bring her after we had such great food. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's not the worst it's thing depressing. that's happened to anybody, but it, it sucks. Yep. <laughs> it's depressing to see. I mean, the quarter is a ghost town. I've never seen it like that before. But uh, this will all be over one day, right? Yeah. I, well. do, I do have one question because, you know, food and alcohol is considered an essential across the United States and those places are open. Are those drive through daiquiri places still open during coronavirus? Yes, as far as I know, they are. That does not uh, surprise me. That's the most one? New Orleans thing ever. <laughs> I mean, well, they're all the way out in like Metairie, though, so I don't drive my car anymore since I have nowhere to go. So I haven't been to one, <laughs> but I have heard that if you can put a lid on it, they're allowed to do, like, takeout alcohol. Like, I went and got a daiquiri from a different place the other day. But, um, of course, we'll dry- we'll close down our drive through daiquiri places and our last. I mean, we did close the bars. That is shocking. But uh, <laughs> it's New Orleans, you know. <laughs> well, Catherine, uh, this is great to catch up with you again. I hope we see you on time. People can follow you uh, at cat underscore Terrell Saints reporter for The Athletic. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me on, y'all. All right. Uh, yeah, let's hope that we are you know, normally on schedule with everything and in New Orleans when we're supposed to be. Um, yes. I wanted to quickly get to what you teased before about the Trayvon Diggs thing, sure. because I think it is really interesting. A lot of people send us draft sims. In fact, we've gotten to the point where it's almost hard for me to respond to everyone's draft I know. Sims. I feel terrible. Just so you guys know, we see them. I... I set myself up for failure by telling everybody to send them to us because there's just too many to respond to. But I love that you guys are as into this as Matthew and I are because it passes the time and it's fun to play pseudo-GM. Right, yeah. And and it's great that you're sending them. It's just sometimes that so many get sent that I'll miss some or whatever happened. But I appreciate that. Uh, But a lot of them have Trayvon Diggs from Mm -hmm. Alabama. And... Awkward is the only way I could describe that. But if you are looking at him as just a prospect and his name was Trayvon Johnson instead of Trayvon Diggs, you would be viewing him as one of those players that would be in the hot zone of on the radar because of his skill set, his height, his athleticism, all those things. They, I just, would they really avoid drafting Trayvon Diggs because they traded his brother? I don't think so. And I think that there are a number of reasons to point to this being a business decision. They need to get better at corner. Corner is arguably their top need in the draft. If Trayvon Diggs is there at 22, I think you take him. And of course, this scouting department, this personnel department, has done their homework on every draft-eligible player that they're considering. And Diggs is one of those guys. I mean, he is a first-round pick. So certainly, they've dedicated the resources, and they've already, you know, I'm sure knew about him going into this draft simply because of the familial connection that they had between Stefan, his brother and former Viking wide receiver, um, and Trayvon himself, just being a draft-eligible prospect. 
you cannot judge Trayvon Diggs and anticipate that he's going to hate it here simply because Stefan wasn't happy at the end and wanted to go somewhere else. I don't think that's fair. I don't think, you know, think about it in any other industry or any other business where you're investing in somebody. You want to invest in them as the person and not judge them based on what somebody connected to them may think or have done. Like, Trayvon Diggs didn't do anything to this franchise, so the fact that there are people out there saying, oh, he's, you know, it's already a bad decision, they're, they're going to pass on that red flag, I, I just want you to look at this through a different lens and realize this is a financial and a business decision. Like, it wasn't, you know, in, in the end, Stephon Diggs got what he wanted. It's not like the Vikings quote-unquote did him dirty or anything like that. They traded him to a place where he's going to have a chance to compete to be a number one receiver. It's not like they sent him to, like, the moon or some awful, like, d- destination. Like, I just don't understand why we're being so short-sighted about this and automatically assuming that he's off their board simply because of what happened with somebody who has the same last name as him. And if he is, I think it's foolish. Uh, from, yes, from he's Tra- talented. From, well, from, from Trayvon Diggs's standpoint, I'm sorry if a team drafts you, you come and play. Like, there, you don't really have any other options. What are you going to do, hold out? I mean, you're, you're going to come no, here and you're going to play. No, not everybody can pull. Yes, exactly. And I know that months ago you and I were having that conversation about Joe Burrow and whether you're, he's actually going to play for Cincinnati, and that was before the Bengals started actually spending money and, and doing something in free agency. But, you know, at that pick, at like at 22 or 25, like he's not a, he's not the number one overall pick. You don't have leverage like that. Many players don't, regardless if you're the number one overall pick. But I know that that's something we talked about with Joe Burrow potentially pulling an Eli Manning, and that was months ago. I remind you, um, yeah, there's no way. And I, you know, if you drafted, you go play for the team. And why, why do we automatically assume that for somebody who has never played for this team? Yes, he probably talks to his brother a lot. Has probably gotten, um, you know, an earful, both good and bad, about the Vikings. But first off, he plays defense. He's not playing wide receiver. It's not like he's going in and going to anticipate the same sort of challenges that Stefan had, and maybe some of the same sort of opinions that he had of Kirk Cousins in the offense. He plays defense. Plays cornerback. He's not a wide receiver. I think that's the number one thing you need to realize about this. But also, why you know he's his own person. He's not Stephon Diggs. He's Trayvon Diggs, his brother, and he's a projected first round pick. He's so talented. I just don't think that you pass over him simply because of the history that you have with his brother. Now, if there was a red flag with Trayvon, sure. Go ahead, that's fine. I mean, if, if you really felt that way. But to judge it simply off the fact that you had some drama and you don't want that to escalate or you know go somewhere else within the family because you take another family member, I think that's short-sighted. Yeah, and if Trayvon Diggs wants to uh, have a problem with it and cause problems and so forth... Then that's really dumb. I mean, you're not you want to succeed in the NFL if you're if you're Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs. I mean, from judging by Stefan, he's a pretty smart guy, and he also knew that in some ways he had leverage to get himself traded to somewhere else. So um, I think Trayvon is probably smart enough to know that the best plan is if you want to succeed as a football player would be whatever team drafts you, regardless of your past history with your brother, that you would step right in and play as hard as you can and be as good as you can be for that organization. And, and from that end, I would not, if I'm the Vikings, avoid it. I would just assume that even as awkward and as uncomfortable as that might seem at first, it'll probably be fine. I mean, yes. And, and and we're going to talk about it. Trust me. If it happens, conference calls coming up, 
Trayvon Diggs is addressing, well, is this weird for you? You know, your brother's not yeah, here anymore yeah. and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's going to be a storyline. Sorry, that's a storyline. But does that have to affect what you do on the field and how you're perceived by your teammates and, you know, the success that you could have with a franchise that your brother was very, very successful with and also gave this franchise one of the greatest moments in recent history? No, that's not going to affect you. It's going to be a storyline. It's going to be a talking point. And trust me, we have a ton of them right now because there's nothing else going on. So it's going to feel like it drags out. But I, I just... To, to overlook somebody because of somebody else with the same name and what happened with that player, I just think is not the right call. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, real quick before we wrap up uh, this segment and then we talk with David Reese II, who is a linebacker out of Florida and is basically in a position to fight for getting drafted this year. And we're going to have some other players who come on the show as well. Christian Fulton is going to come on, and we're going to have uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. just over the next couple of weeks here as we lead up to the draft. Uh, Tua underwent his own medical check, and the results are positive, and he says he can play. So number two overall pick, number five overall pick, is there reality to the Justin Herbert thing that, some teams might see Herbert still as better than Tua. What do you think? I still think he's the second quarterback taken. The Justin Herbert thing and the buzz that he's gotten is a little weird to me. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he went under uh, – he like had like a physical done by an NFL doctor, to my understanding. That's what I saw earlier. Um, and, you know, I just don't know if Washington's going to take him there. I don't know. Like, I think that they really want – Chase Young. That's all the stuff that I've been reading and, mm-hmm. and hearing behind the scenes. But I still think Miami might get a little gun shy and think that they have to knee jerk and jump at that and, and trade up to two to get him. Either way, I think he lands in Miami and I think he's the second quarterback taken off the board, regardless yeah, yeah. if it's two or five. If you're Washington and you take Chase Young instead of Tua, I'm always going to question you forever. Even if Tua becomes the biggest bust and Chase Young goes to the Hall of Fame, I'm still going to say. In terms of winning actual football games, not just drafting players who worked out, like the goal is to win actual football games, the impact that Tua could have is so much greater than Chase Young, even if he becomes a superstar player. We see this. How about Chicago? There's no one better than Khalil Mack, and sure. yet they go 8-8 eight and eight because their quarterback didn't play very well. It just is the nature of the beast. And if you're going into this with Kyle Allen and Dwayne Haskins and saying, oh, this will be fine, uh, I, I don't know. I, I question that. Haskins didn't show enough to me last year to say, oh, they're set. Like, Arizona would not have to draft a quarterback. Kyler Murray showed a lot. I think he's a franchise quarterback, so okay. You go forward with that guy, and who knows what happens. But when somebody comes into a handful of games, some they look terrible, some they look okay, and and they play well a couple times, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, you're set. And if Haskins is great, then he'll beat Tua for that job, and they can trade Tua the following season. We saw yeah. that from Josh Rosen even after he was terrible in his first year. Sure. I mean, it's it's not a bad position to be in outside of the fact that you, that you have to give up um, going after the defensive player that you want. But then, I mean, this is not a deep class for defensive linemen. We know that. Like, let's say, you know, they go get somebody in the second round. And then next year, if Tua, if you're in the situation where you have Tua on your roster and you trade Dwayne Haskins because that's the way it plays out, then go get your defensive lineman a year later. Yeah. Yep. Or free agency or anywhere else. I mean, mm, that's what the, thing, you, like, the positional value of a quarterback and, and what that does for you over a defensive end. And I know that we've talked about this. Um, I, it, when it's 
when you were in that position and literally, like, you didn't have to do anything except lose a lot of games to get in that position where you have Tua within reach, I don't see why you wouldn't take him. Yeah, yep. I mean, think about it this way. Is someone like Adrian Claiborne, who just signed with, I think, the Browns, um, he's a guy that has consistently put pressure as a situational pass rusher on quarterbacks at a really high level. I'm not saying that anyone can be a superstar defensive end, because we see that with Everson Griffin, the larger impact. But can you patchwork that position on a winning team versus quarterback? Like, of course you can. So I, I would always look to, if you're not 100% certain, and especially if you're in rebuild mode, stack quarterbacks and hope one w- works out. So we'll see what they do. My guess is that they do take Chase Young. Uh, when we return, we're going to talk with David Reese II. He's a linebacker out of Florida, a guy who is on the cusp of potentially being drafted, but would have been one of the guys who wanted to make a name for himself in the pre-draft process. Well, that's harder to do now. So we're going to find out how he's planning on doing that when we return here on Purple Daily. The American Red Cross continues to face a severe blood shortage due to the coronavirus pandemic. Healthy blood and platelet donors are asked to please give now. Donating blood is safe and blood banks remain open across the Twin Cities metro. To schedule an appointment, visit scorenorth.com keyword red to learn more and to give blood. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Six close to seven. Here comes the blitz. Down goes Wallace again. This time it's David Reese. All right, joining us now on the show, a Florida linebacker who is entering uh, the NFL draft this year, David Reese II. What's going on, David? How are you? How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How about yourself? We're doing okay. I've got questions relating to you being from Michigan and playing in Florida, but I feel like I have to save those for later because it's just like Florida's a different country than Michigan because, you know, we're Midwest people here and such, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, the draft process has to be fascinating uh, for you this year because I'm sure that you never in your wildest dreams ever would have expected for the entire country to be essentially under quarantine and you to not have a shot to have pro days and visits and all those things. So tell us how you've been dealing with that and how you keep your name uh, in the minds of NFL teams. Uh, man, to be honest, the process has still been great. I had a great opportunity uh, to work with my agency and Pete Bomarito, um during this offseason and really work on all my 40 work and everything I need to uh, get bigger, faster, stronger. And I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life right now. So uh, it's still been going great. You know, I just try to look at the positive of things and, you know, keep grinding. You know, I got everything recorded, all my mock stuff and times. And, you know, uh, I got a great team behind me. And we're going to get all that stuff sent out and, you know, to everyone that, you know, wants to see it, you know, if they're curious about it. But just excited, you know. David, how have you been able to stay in shape during all this? I know that for football players, having the gym and a weight training program is huge. I up he, up this way where I'm at in Illinois, Lovey Smith, the coach down at U of I, has you know talked about his players doing box jumps onto recycling cans and trying to be as creative <laughs> with the process as possible. For you, what does your daily workout regimen look like right now? Uh, I actually got an elliptical downstairs in my basement. I got jump ropes, punching bags, and such. So I got, you know, I got a home gym in my basement. So every every time I just go down there and get it in the morning. And right now I'm actually uh, in the middle of my afternoon jog. I'm at a bench right now, just taking in this beautiful weather we got for today in Michigan. So I had to jog outside today. And 
I'm just doing what I can. Thank goodness we could still go outside and, and do things like that. I've been playing basketball alone at the park a lot myself, David. Uh, now, from the mm-hmm. from, from letting people know about your personality, of course, linebackers are always known for having sort of hard-nosed personalities and things like that. And even from your demeanor, us just talking for a couple minutes, I would have said, yeah, it sounds like a linebacker to me. Um, but that's in, that is important to NFL teams. So have, have you had meetings with them? Have you done you know, FaceTime or Skype? Or, or how does that work? Uh yes, sir. I had I had a chance to, uh, you know, just showing them my leadership skills, also to what I know in the field, and you know, getting a chance to uh, get on has been real important. And my mental toughness on it, so uh, that's something I feel like an area I can shine, in, uh, especially during this time when you can't really show much uh, physically. Sure. And obviously your agent is somebody now uh, through all of this and trying to sort things out of whether you're going to have interviews over FaceTime and trying to get your tape out there. What have you relied on on your agency for and ha- having kind of guiding you through this process? Because, I mean, this is definitely new for a lot of the agents I've spoken with. It's unprecedented, and they're trying to navigate it just as much as the prospects they're representing. Definitely new. Oh no! Our phone, our David. Can you still hear us, David? Can you still hear us? Our uh, our phone con- our phone connection's breaking up with a a little bit here, David. Maybe uh, walk to a higher place at the park. <laughs> oh man, can, David! If you can hear me, can you just call us right back? Uh, same number to get to yeah. our producer because we're just you're just sort of going in and out, and you sound like a robot. A robot. So we'll hope that you can get us right back. Okay. Okay. Thanks, man. Okay. All right, uh, we'll hope we can get David right back on the show because he was just about to give you great insight to how they've been doing it. It is a fascinating process for everyone. It's like every part of the entire sports world is being impacted in some way or another. And for guys like him, I mean, I know he said he's got all his stuff videotaped and he's trying to work it out and and everything else like that and sending it off to teams. But I pulled up uh, CBS NFL draft rankings, and he's ranked in the 40s in terms of just linebackers in this class, which doesn't mean it's impossible for him to make it. But this would have been that opportunity to show, hey, I'm different from these other guys who are ranked lower down the list. Yeah, and I mean, for someone like him, I mean, there were eight players from Florida uh, that got an invite to the Combine this year, and, and he didn't. Like, I mean, he led the team with 88 tackles this past season, uh, and he didn't get a chance to go run and do everything else in Indianapolis for, you know, all the scouts that were going to be there. I mean, what the situation we're in right now really does hurt the prospects who are on the fringe and on the cusp of being drafted. And I'm really curious how this is going to look for the undrafted free agency process uh, in the college tryout process. I mean, how many guys are actually going to get a shot now? Yeah, no, you're right. All right, we have uh, we have David back. We got you there, David. Yes. All right, we're talking with uh, David Reese the second, a linebacker from Florida. So, all right. I want you to sell us, David. I want you to sell Courtney and I on David Reese the second. Let's say we get to the fifth round or something like that. We're saying, hey, you know, we need another linebacker. Tell us exactly why our team, Team Courtney and Matt, should draft David Reese the second. Uh, you're getting a hardworking linebacker that's going to bring his work at every day. Every day he steps in the building. You're, you're bringing in someone with great leadership qualities, a uh, guy that, you know, has played many seasons in college and 
you know, was a veteran in college and a, a three-year team captain and, you know, a guy that does everything right. So that's the type of guy you're going to be getting. All right. Well, Courtney is also the special teams coach, and so she's really yes. interested in if you can transition. Now, there's a guy that we've covered over the last couple of years, David, Kentrell Brothers, who is a great linebacker at Missouri, and he's built out a mm-hmm. career for himself as a special teams player. That's usually where guys in your position have to start. So how, what, what would be your mindset coming to the NFL if you do have to take that approach? Oh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, Florida takes that. Uh, pridefully, every day we do punt. Every day we went through um, special teams drills before every practice, and you know I'm excited to show the guys what I have and you know just what I learned throughout uh, my years at the university. Now, taking a look at kind of the whole process, I wanted to jump back. You were talking about sending out tape because uh, you didn't get a chance to have your pro day, uh, and it's your 40 and, and all those things. What are you trying to, I guess, tell me about the process of compiling all of that together? Like, have you already done these things and, and trying to send them out to teams? Uh, what does that look like? Uh, definitely. I did all this stuff uh, when I was training uh, with Pete Bomarito and um Basically, I just want to show them my straight line speed, my movement, um, going through, like, DB drills if they wanted to see it or if they want to see my hips in certain drills and uh, just showing them that I'm fluent and, um, and I can move also. It's all about the hips, David. Um, we, we joke on the show about Courtney analyzing players' hips, so that's an inside joke. <laughs> Let, let's talk about you being at Florida University and from the Midwest, because we can relate to this. And we were just talking to another guest from New Orleans, and it's a, it's a very different type of place. So someone from Michigan who goes and spends a bunch of time at Florida, what, are the, what were the biggest differences you came away with? Uh, shoot, man. You know, my little league team in Michigan was uh, one of the great ones. So I had a great opportunity to play with a lot of guys. We had 15 D1 guys on my team. So uh, my friend group, we had a lot of guys that uh, were fortunate enough to play Division One football. So when I got to Florida, it wasn't uh, the, huge, the biggest change. But, you know, it was a change to how you study. And, uh, you know, it helped me become a leader because I had Jared Davis and Alex Angelone in front of me when I came. And they basically showed me the ropes early. And I was able to grasp what those guys gave me and, uh, when they left, you know, get that same type of aggression and, you know, willing to work every day to the young guys that came in. So I came in really ready to work. Uh, the biggest difference I'll probably say is just the speed, you know, a lot as far as the skill positions. Um, some guys in Florida, Florida speed is real. and not, Our defense prided ourselves on that. We had a lot of speed on defense. and uh, We played fast, physical, and aggressive. Now, you were in the SEC for your college career, which, of course, has its own reputation of being the best of the best, and that type of competition is just what you don't find in other places. How do you feel like being a part of a group like that sets you up for success in the NFL, considering you know it's a really stacked group? So you're basically, I think it's more of the smaller fish in a big pond of talent versus if you were in a different conference where you could be the big fish in a small pond. Uh, definitely. I feel like it helped me, you know, just competing with everybody. Like everyone I played on uh, defense with since my freshman year is not in the NFL, and they're doing great and having successful careers. And, that, you know, it's just a blueprint when you go to a school like Florida with that type of prestige and all the guys that came before you. It's amazing to see, uh, you know, everyone pan out on the next level and, you know, continue to bring that SEC football to the NFL. So.
David, I really appreciate your all-football demeanor. When I asked the question, I was looking for something like, yeah, the the driving in Florida is insane. Like, just anytime I've, I've been there, you're, like, uh, holding your breath every time you go out on the road. Or the, the pizza in Michigan is underrated. That's the direction I was going for, David. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> All right. All right, you want to stick the ball. I understand that. Well, David, we uh, we li- we wish you the best. We hope that it works out for you and that everybody sees your tape and sees what you can do. And obviously, like you said, you played at a very high level. So we will be looking for your game uh, on draft night. So uh, take care, man, and, and good luck. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate it. Yep, for sure, man. Keep working. So uh, David Reese the second, and I thought good perspective on what it takes to be a guy who's on the bubble and is trying to make a name for himself. And I was also saying to Jonathan off the air before we came on for this segment, of like, imagine being as good at football as David Reese, a starting linebacker at Florida, who is probably the best player from his high school or you know where he grew up and everything else. And we're talking about, yeah, he's like the 41st best linebacker in the draft. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how hard it is. Well, and that's the thing I wonder about with, like, the situation he's in. You know, he didn't he, – he was on a really good defense, for by and large. I mean, Florida lost a lot of pieces the last few years. But, you know, for eight players to get drafted – to get invited to the combine, then he doesn't get the invite. I mean, it's almost like, you know, it's really hard to separate yourself when you are in this stacked group, talent group, talent pool, that the um, – SEC is, and especially uh, teams like Florida, Georgia. I mean, a lot of those, te- you know, bigger name teams in the SEC East. I think it's hard to separate yourself, and when you're not one of the clear cut top at your position, uh, or at least you know projected draft order, I think it you know puts you in a tough position. So you know that's what I was just kind of mentioning before we got him back on on the line that. I'm really curious about how this is going to play out for undrafted free agents and college tryout guys. I mean, you know, you, you wish him the absolute best and hope that, you know, this doesn't impact the draft process, but I certainly think it's going to. You know, a number of agents mm-hmm. have put it out there on Twitter and people I've spoken with just about the fear that we're not going to see as deep of classes from, like, you know, the the, the Holton Hills of the world, getting right. those shots. And, I mean, granted, maybe he's not the right example because he had red flags. That's the reason he was an undrafted priority free agent, which he was, and the Vikings guaranteed, you know, quite paid him quite a bit of money to, to bring him in. But Adam Thielen, for example, he relied on that regional combine, which, you know, there was that regional combine that was supposed to happen last weekend in Miami and also the HBCU combine uh, the same weekend. I think it was in the same complex. Those kids are going to not have the same opportunities that they would have any other year to get seen and mm-hmm. evaluated by med- by NFL personnel. And it's not just a matter of testing and numbers and blah, blah, blah. Like It's actually seeing them as players, what they can do on a football field, and seeing giving them a shot to come in to rookie minicamp and impress you and try to get you know a contract out of that. Like If rookie minicamp doesn't happen, what happens? Are you just stuck with the rookies that you drafted and then you're going to sign guys in let's say august and anticipate that's so weird to me i just can't like fathom how that's going to play out because we always see someone who came to rookie minicamp as an undrafted player impress the team and end up making the team every single year and now how do you even select those guys maybe it's harder if you don't have a better knowledge of them but also I mean, look, it's all long shots anyway. So they have all year of tape. And that's the one thing where I don't feel any sympathy for the general managers and the scouts or anything else. 
you guys are the ones who every year say, well, you know, it's not about the pro days. It's about the tape. Okay, well, it's about the tape. You should know who these people are, and I'm sure they'll figure it out if they think that our our new friend David, uh, who didn't want to make fun of the state of Florida, that's what I was going for, but that's okay. Um, I mean, they're in kind of a, a tough spot right now because because of everything that's happened and how long it took them to respond to coronavirus, so I don't blame him for not going down that path. <laughs> I, and, plus, and plus, at this point, not that you were asking him to do that. He's, you know, these interviews are. I, I wonder how many radio stations are getting, you know, uh, inquiries from agents trying to get their guys on air to be able to yeah. let them, you know, because you know, scouts and you know. Anybody who's in scouting, they comb through stuff. They want to know about these guys and, you know, the chance to actually hear somebody's voice live. And if you're not going to have to, you know, because there's limits on the number of FaceTime and Zoom and whatever else interviews that you can do per week. You know, you got to get as much exposure to the guys that you just don't know as much about. Like, outside of Tua, I would not waste a single resource on anybody I anticipate going in the top 20 picks. I really wouldn't. Because, you know, unless there was some sort of character red flag... Um, or other concern, I would not spend a minute of my draft resources, which are so limited right now as it is, on anybody that I know is either not going to be within reach of me, or even if they were, you'd be fine picking them. Uh, I want to switch gears with you, because there's okay. another note in the NFL I wanted to get to, so we can have hot routes in the next segment, which I'm very excited about. Uh, the Titans running back, Derrick Henry, signed his uh, franchise tag tender. And to my knowledge... That has not yet happened with Anthony Harris, that he has not signed the tender. And also kind of interesting, too, that Henry went into this offseason after being uh, kind of becoming a celebrity running back over the last, uh, whatever, four months, that even he has not been able to quickly work out a contract extension with his team. So this sort of is interesting on two different levels. One, why hasn't Anthony Harris signed his tender yet? And... What can Delvin Cook expect if the Titans, who clearly love Derrick Henry, have not signed him to an extension yet? Well, I think let's start with the franchise tag itself and what we saw you know, with, with uh, Derrick Henry signing it uh, and getting that one year of security. Now, I think that that's the, that's the crux of it. We don't know. With, I mean, we're starting to hear stuff about the NBA and players taking a. I, I don't know exact percentage, so jump in here if you do. Um, what you know, there's a certain percentage of the, of a pay cut that NBA players could expect to see, um, and we obviously know that these contracts have language in them now. Uh, the contracts that are going forward because of coronavirus that are going to give ownership and the people who are responsible for paying these players a little bit more of a cushion to not have to do so if there's an event like this. Yeah. Um, I know in my contract with ESPN, I have force majeure, which you know usually is not enacted. And for those who don't know, that's like, I think it's the act of God rule. Um, where it's like something so unbelievably unprecedented that would disrupt your ability to work yeah. and that teams wouldn't need to pay you. If I'm an NFL player, and I don't know if that's in you know all contracts um, or at least you know the ones that you know I'm sure obviously you know, we know the language is going forward, but I would assume that's in mo- it's pretty much standard boilerplate. But regardless, um, you know the the guys who have already signed their tenders, uh, I think it's showing you that there's definitely a little bit of uncertainty knowing that this season may not start on time. It may not look like it always does. And in terms of contracts, go ahead and get your money. At least for one year, make sure that you have whatever it is on that tag locked up. Um, And especially for a running back, 
like Derrick Henry when you're trying to work out a long-term deal. I mean, you have till July to do it. It's fine. But to go ahead and sign it right now, I think is, um, I think it's smart. I think it's a very savvy place to be in just to know that you will have that security amid such an uncertain time. But as it pertains to Anthony Harris, I mean, I think it points to two things. I think it, you know, the Vikings say, hey, we want to sign you to a long-term extension. We'll get there. We just got to work it out. Or they might still be trying to hold on to him as trade leverage. Yeah, and if you're Harris, do you want to not sign it to see if you can get traded and sign an extension that starts this year so you get a huge signing bonus? Well, Is that the plan? I mean, if you, I think you're putting a lot of your chips in one basket if you do that. I think that, you know, because he can go in at any time, not go in, he can sign it. I would assume they have DocuSign, like every other NFL franchise. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they figured um, that part out. Yeah, he can, he can sign it, and he can get that money guaranteed. And the Vikings are on the hook to pay that, unless for, you know, some reason, before he signed, they rescind the tag. Now, I, I just, I mean... I don't know why he hasn't signed it yet, unless he truly thinks that he can go out there. He, either he's been given you know, verbal commitment or, you know, hey, we're going to work on this from the Vikings and, and kind of a promise that they're going to try to work out a long-term deal with him maybe in the coming weeks. Or he thinks that he can get the asking price that he wants via a trade mm-hmm. um, and a long-term extension. Now, what we reported earlier when I had my story out earlier in the week that, you know, there were teams that were very interested, i.e. the Browns and, and the Giants, and they got kind of scared away just from what Minnesota was asking, but also from that franchise tag itself and just the price tag it comes with and what Harris is inevitably going to want for himself, and rightfully so, on an extension. Uh, so I guess I, I wonder, what is a timeline, do you think, for this? I mean, does he? Ha- when is the date where he has to sign it? Do you know right off the top of your head? Well, um, I mean, the... <laughs> I know they have till July. It's sometime in July to work out the long-term deal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Every year there's a deadline. If, yes. you're, if you're on the franchise tag, you can work out a deal before then. Otherwise, you're forced to play on the franchise tag. And that's one of mm-hmm. the hard things about right now with the Vikings is even just looking up some of the salary cap hits and how much they change after June 1st, if there was ever a year where that's relevant, it usually isn't. It's usually like, oh, yeah, the June 1st thing, but not much happens. But now it is because there's not going to be any OTAs or anything else. So I feel like you can be more patient with certain things if you want to. Like if you wanted to trade Riley Reef after June 1st, maybe there's more of a market to do so then because there's no OTAs and teams feel like they're all starting from square one in training camp anyway, as opposed to being uh, down the line already from OTAs. So a lot can change here with this situation. On the Delvin Cook front, uh, if you were giving me a choice between Derrick Henry and Delvin Cook, it's Delvin Cook by a lot for me mm-hmm. because Derrick Henry is so one-dimensional. He averages 5.1 yards carry, and he's a monster. That's great. Led the NFL in rushing and touchdowns, but he caught 18 passes. And that's just a, a different type of impact when you can catch screens behind the line of scrimmage, you can run routes. We still haven't seen Cook do it enough, in my mind, of running routes, but without Stephon Diggs, you might have to do that. Sure. Um, but I also think it's an, it's another marker toward the... Running back, if you're trying to get paid, things are tough out there for you. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're all wondering now, okay, is that their next big move? Because if you're still in win now, and if you're still, you know, that's the million-dollar question. What is this team? What what are they? 
Um, but that would be a win-now move for me, absolutely, because you're looking at it saying, okay, you don't have to go into the season whenever training camp does start and expect a holdout from Dalvin, from, from Dalvin Cook. You just don't have to deal with that by getting him locked up to an extension now. Now, Rick Spielman did tell us at the combine that they typically don't work extensions out until after the draft. Yeah. Well, that was a different time, even though right. that was and literally they, a month ago. Right. Then they gave um, uh, Cousins five seconds into uh, the free agency period or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and that's... So I think that... I wouldn't say all bets are off on, on timing and all that, but I just feel like it's the next move to happen because it has to happen. You have to... You know, if you want to if you want to compete at the level you think you want to compete at, you have to have him in this offense because you can't suffer any more instability this year with, yes. a, with a condensed offseason and the time that you're not going to have to figure out new offensive line combinations and everything else, you might as well get all your continuity squared away and, and, and kind of locked up to you know several years of knowing you're going to have it now rather than trying to hedge your bets that you'll be fine not doing that. How would you feel about some hot routes next segment? Would you be excited by yeah, that? Yeah, I'm definitely down for yeah, some ready, routes. Ready to do some hot routes? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I have five questions based on things that are in the headlines and so forth around the NFL that you and Jonathan are going to answer. So let's do that when we return. Also, by the way, quick just self-promotion here, and we could talk about this at a later date, uh, but uh, scorenorth.com at our website, I wrote a feature on Gary Kubiak where I talked to three of his uh, former quarterbacks, as well as some other people, and included a couple of quotes from our new friend Wade Phillips the other day when he was on the, the show. So uh, go check that out, scorenorth.com, on our free app at our website. And uh, if you missed any of the show today, you can go back and get it wherever you get your podcast. So if you're out like David Reese taking a jog, then you can just you know plug us in your earphones and listen to some football. All right, let's come back. Hot routes when we return here on Purple Daily. Minnesota sports fans, we know you're doing your best to stay home, and we're here for you at Score North through every step of the coronavirus pandemic. Got something to say about Minnesota sports? Want to tell us why we are wrong, perhaps? Leave us a mic drop message on the free Score North app. You may even hear yourself on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, or the free Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Want to let you know about one of our partners here at Score North. We continue to partner with Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to help make sure our area children continue to receive the meals and care that they need during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Louisa Rise and the Minnesota Twins, one lucky person who makes a donation of any amount will receive a signed Luis Arise Minnesota Twins jersey. Your contribution enables Ronald McDonald House Charities Upper Midwest to continue to provide critical services to families dealing with the child's health crisis. Those services include overnight accommodations, complimentary meals, fully stocked pantries, laundry, and more. To donate, please visit scorenorth.com, keyword donate. That's been your Scorenorth download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Rocks on Purple Daily. 580! 397! Ah, yes, that time again where we take things from the headlines and turn them into either Vikings-related or our own life or just general reactions. So let's, our own life, I love that. Sometimes, and I think, do I have any like that? There's one that's kind of uh, like yeah, that okay. today. A little bit like one. that. 
All right, let's start it right off here. Um, so I started to uh, look up, and also I was listening to our guys on the PFF Forecast podcast talk about MVP odds for next season, which, you know, why not, right? And Patrick Mahomes, naturally the MVP favorite. One of the real long shots is Matt Stafford at 60-1. to 1. Uh, Which is the better play, do you guys think? Taking Mahomes for MVP or a 60-1 to Matt Stafford? And I want you to give me another long shot who you would put your bet on, say, at 60-1. to Uh, Depending upon what the Lions do in the draft is not going to affect how I feel about this at all. Uh, I would take Mahomes. I mean, if you gave me Mahomes versus the field, I would certainly take the field. I mean, I have like 30 different players to pick from. Um, but I'm going with Mahomes there. I think my other long shot would probably end up being Josh Allen. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, he that's a real long, long shot, shot one, yeah. but I, you know he's definitely going to emerge in the conversation at some point. Well, I don't know that because <laughs> I think he's bad, but uh, is it much more possible that he would because he has Stephon Diggs now and their team is no, good? Yeah, Exactly, that's why. I mean, I think the buzz is there. And given, you know, what they do in the draft, it's probably going to... Um, you know, I could. See, he would be in that same category if I had to pick. You know, long shot guys that hey wouldn't have. You know, if you look at it and be like, yeah, kind of makes sense. Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo. I would throw Kirk Cousins in there too. Yeah, I think all those are fair picks. The long shot is a good one. I, I I'll say that is a good selection because if he takes some huge step forward, sure. He also runs, so he could score additional touchdowns that way. He's got weapons. He's got the offense. I think that's a good. It's a good long shot pick. I probably still wouldn't do it. It's sixty to one. I'd probably pick Mahomes first. But uh, Jonathan, how about yours? Yeah, I'm going to go Mahomes here. I'm not going to win a whole lot of money on it because he's kind of one of the favorites. But I think Mahomes is a better selection there for my long shot. It's between one of the guys Courtney mentioned in Matt Ryan or Christian McCaffrey, both in the NFC South, both in a really good division. And if either of their teams wins the NFC South. It's going to be because of how they played for their teams because that division's yes. actually good, good for point. once. Uh, I will say that I'll take Matt Stafford because of it's sixty to one. I mean, so you know, if you if win, you're making you're bank. putting a hundred bucks on it. You're getting a lot of money back. I'm not a mathematician to figure out how much off the top of my head, but I'll do that because if Matt Stafford throws for forty eight hundred yards and thirty five touchdowns and that team has a halfway decent defense and they even go ten and six, people are gonna go, Oh my god, the Lions did something. It must have been all the quarterback, which it would have to be. That's another part of it is that no one respects their coach, so Stafford would have to have a great season. He was kind of on pace for that last year. Got some really wonky results. The loss on the last play to Green Bay. The loss on the last play to Oakland. So I I would take that because I could talk myself into it being plausible because of his talent level. And he often does put up really big numbers. Long shot here. Hmm. Well, does Phillip Rivers... Yeah, he qualifies as an extreme long shot, right? I think so. He eh. would be, right? He's an extreme one shot. Bovada has him at 60 to 1. So. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, then so he's, then he's exactly the same. All right. Because I, I didn't have all the odds right in front of me. Then I'll, I guess I will go Phillip Rivers. That if he finds it and is really great with his old buddy Frank Reich and they win that division, which is pretty poor, then Phillip Rivers, and he's always put up great statistics, he's got a shot. And just two years ago, he was in that conversation. So I'll go Phillip Rivers. Next question for you guys. Jets general manager Joe Douglas said that his team still has a lot of things to do in order to fully support Sam Darnold. You know the thing? 
Uh, you don't have any receivers that I know of. So even though they did sign five linemen, they're still probably bad. Does he have the worst supporting cast in the NFL? Sam Darnold. It's either him or it's Jacksonville with uh, the stuff that Gardner Minshew has around him. Those are the only two, I think, that are on par with being equally as bad. I have to look up how good DJ Shark was last year. I feel like he was good, but I don't. okay. 73 catches for 1,000 yards. He was good. But then it's like D.D. Westbrook, Marquise Lee. Yeah. Shark is better than anyone on the Jets, though. Sure, sure. And, I mean, obviously, I think Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, would you take him versus Le'Veon Bell? Like, if you had to go toss up, I feel Pass like it's a toss up. Just, yeah, I, no. Yes, but I mean, if you had to take one, can I draft someone? <laughs> like, <that's, laughs> we're, no. not, we're not there yet. That's the problem. <laughs> so I think that's kind of an equal playing field. Jags are the way I look yeah, at it. Jags are, and, and they and they made. I mean, for a team that is literally trying to blow the whole thing up. I mean, they did get Tyler Eifert, who's been injured for the last like three seasons. They got him in free agency. Yeah, you're getting me to agree with you. I'm going to go with the Texans here. Deshaun Watson's supporting cast isn't that great. They just traded his best wide receiver for uh, David Johnson for some reason. And that bloated contract, he hasn't been good and has kind of been falling off since his one big season. Uh, Duke Johnson's the other running back there, not that great either. And his receivers after DeAndre Hopkins, they didn't really do much. They, they each had, I think Will Fuller had 670 yards and Kenny Stills had 560 yards, so he doesn't have a whole lot of receivers to throw to in Houston. Bad. Got Darren Fowles, though. And you know that Deshaun Watson is still going to throw for 4,300 yards yeah. and 30 touchdowns and, and and get them in contention because he's that good. That is going to be a, a travesty to watch someone so good at quarterback have so little to work with. And who knows if Laramie Tunzel even signs a massive mm-hmm. contract extension with him. Now, Robbie Anderson just signed with Carolina, but they got to be in this conversation. They traded their best offensive lineman for someone who has barely played over the last two years, and Russell Okung. Um, they, Christian McCaffrey is good. DJ Moore is okay. I'm not sold on Robbie Anderson being any good. Greg Olson no longer plays for the Carolina Panthers. I want to put them pretty far on the bottom of that barrel. And after that, I... <laughs> Is it wrong to say the New York Giants at this moment have a pretty I, darn I thought poor of, sporting I thought cast for Daniel them. Jones? Yeah, I thought about that too because on paper, like you mentioned with Sterling Shepard earlier, like on paper, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, um, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, on paper it sounds good. But what else? I mean, think about that. That's not actually panned out. And those guys are hurt all the time. Yes, Shepard like, last year is hurt and Golden, Golden Tate is suspended and he's everything old else. also. Yeah, I, th- that's a pretty poor supporting cast. If they would Denver a qualify receiver, too? I mean, I think Denver needs to get a I receiver. I think because they have Cortland Sutton, I, I they would be not qualified as being as bad as the Giants and some of the other teams. They could use some help, but they just added Melvin Ingram. It's a running back. They have two good running backs, though. I'll say they're okay. Cincinnati, okay. Cincinnati's still are no. I guess Cincinnati's not that bad because of Mixon and Tyler Boyd. You know who might be the worst? Actually, we just overlook them in all these conversations about what's bad. New England. Whoever is their quarterback does not have much to work with in New England. Well, I mean, they're purposely yeah. tanking, though. Have we not accepted Maybe. this already? Maybe. I mean, I've conceded that they are, so I'm okay with it. They definitely should. Uh, next question. Former Viking Jared Allen called the NFL draft the most boring thing imaginable on TV. I would say fight me, Jared Allen, but um, I do You'd not want to fight quick. Jared Allen. What's your favorite part of draft night that we're looking forward to? And what is actually the most boring thing on TV? 
I think my favorite part of draft night in the early rounds, just seeing guys go up on stage and, and do the bro hug, see who can, who can nail the bro hug the best and who picks up the commissioner <laughs> and what Tack McKinley did. He brought the photo of his grandmother up a few years ago and then started profusely cursing because uh, he was so excited um, that kept apologizing for it as it was happening. Um, I like the drama with that. I don't even call that drama. I guess it was just you know the, the raw emotion of so many of these yes. young men getting to fulfill their dreams. That is uh, definitely my favorite part of draft night because, come on, day three, you and I are barely functioning. We have, like, 99 picks that always inevitably happen from <laughs> rounds right. four through seven. And we're just, you know, I'm just trying to get by, man. I mean, day three is hard, and it's going to be boring as you all get out when I'm doing it from the computer room of my mom's house, uh, watching it on a tiny monitor when I don't even have, you know, you guys around eat Jimmy John's with, uh, provided by Vikings PR. <laughs> I was going to say, there are ways that we'll keep and, internal that we entertain ourselves yes, on day three. Yes, I mean, we're but still that won't that. happen. Yes. Maybe. Okay, we got to try. We do. We, we have to we try. Do. Jonathan, your favorite part of the NFL draft? Uh, probably either the booing of Roger Goodell that that get that seems to grow louder throughout the night somehow, and, or teams making really boneheaded selections that come out of nowhere and seeing the draft experts try and scramble and like figure the Lions out what last the year. hell they're doing. We don't know who that person is. <laughs> uh, actually, Courtney, you did not answer the most boring thing. Well, I was, was going to wait, and we're going to circle back on that because oh, okay. I didn't want to like take over the conversation for five minutes. Okay, so John- <laughs> Jonathan, just then your favorite part is people that the experts are baffled by? Yes. And listening to Mel Kuyper be incredulous is a great thing. (laughs) Absolutely. Just like he starts talking even faster. His hair does weird things. It it is the entertainment value of the hot take on draft night when no one knows how it's going to work out. And it's, oh my gosh, I can't believe they drafted this guy at this spot. How ludicrous. And then, you know, who knows? Sometimes it turns out to be that they're completely wrong. In fact, uh, there is a clip somewhere of Todd McShay saying Brian Brom will take over for Aaron Rodgers at some point. So, you know, old takes exposed everywhere. That's a great part of it. My favorite is just the general tension of things playing out. Like, we've spent so much time, and we have laid out a million draft sims, and we've had a million conversations, and then it's finally all here. And as soon as you're building up to the pick... Uh, it, it's weird because it takes forever on TV, but when you're reporting on it or you were on the air, if it, it, it has this sense that it's moving fast toward your pick and you're scrambling to analyze, okay, this means this and this means that. And I, I like that part of it because I feel like the same way the analysts do with just this rush of so much is changing all at once in the NFL. And, uh, and that's kind of cool. Now, Courtney, the most boring thing on TV. And this doesn't have to be draft-related, right? No, no. Okay, so recently, uh, in the coronavirus times, my brother, who lives in the city of Chicago, has been coming out, um, and we've all kind of been under the same roof and quarantining together, um, and he works in finance, so... CNBC is on every freaking morning, and it's like, um, not not Larry Kudlow, because he's the advisor to the president. It's Kramer? Is that what the guy's name is? And they're just like talking, 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 and like numbers are flying across the screen, and I'm sitting there like, what are we watching? Can we turn on Sports Center? I'd rather watch old highlights than stuff I don't understand, and also just someone talking at me about the market. Um, if you could talk to me in a way that I would, that would be coveting i'd be able to uh, or, uh, what's the word i'm looking for um compelling 
Compelling, yeah. Like, just just talk to me about it other than just have numbers flying across the screen. It's too much going on. Too much going on. It's it's not boring. It's just it, it no, it's boring. Me. It's it stresses it's me real out. Boring. Yeah. It's all right. Okay. I'm sure to people who understand it, it's less boring. But that goes for anything. People who love it goes on for like seven hours, like in on one show. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? People who love jazz music would be like, no, it's really interesting because of the chord progression. You're like, I don't know. This <laughs> sounds like a bunch of notes. Uh, sounds like you've had that conversation recently. I mean, yeah, like jazz is incredibly impressive from a technical standpoint, but. <laughs> If you don't know what's going on, it's much harder to really get into. It's all I'm saying. Like, Miles Davis was great. All right, go on, Jonathan. (laughs) Uh, Most boring thing on TV to me is singing and cooking competitions. I cannot stand them anymore. Mm. They're all the same to me. I don't care what you're propping up with these singers, whether you're putting them in a costume where you're having the judges turn their backs to them. The costumes are very funny. It's all boring to me. Yeah. I agree with especially singing competitions that... Just incredibly dull for me yeah. at this point. We've been doing this for 20 years. Haven't we found everyone who can sing by now? That's and did, did any of these people become anything? Like that, that was always. I can't remember the last time an American Idol actually became something. That was always my beef with it is wait, if the people who win don't even become famous and aren't even really good at this, then why did we just play that game for four months? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one, and that was at my first selection. But I'm going to go with terrible people reality TV shows. Is how terrible and ridiculous are these people? We found out hip hop Atlanta or whatever. Called like, love and hip hop. Yeah, love really? and hip hop. Just I, I see the commercials for it when I'm watching Law and Order, which is not boring and is amazing. And I just. Uh, what, what's the one Phil loves these that under the, under uh, the, the yacht, love is, yacht love life is or something? There's yeah that one I've heard of. Yacht I just, life. There's what you're thinking like, of yacht rock oh, music. Oh, below deck. No, no, under no, no, the no, rock. No, below no, deck. No, below deck. Yeah, that's oh, the yeah. one. Well, I, I don't <laughs> know, under the. Yacht. I don't know these, <laughs> but watching stupid people <laughs> yell at each other is the most boring thing. It is not entertainment for me at all. That's it. These people aren't interesting. Their lives aren't interesting. Well, what are you, bi- are what are you binging now during, since everybody has wow. a show or something? Football on YouTube. What are you binging okay, yes. okay, outside of that? I did watch two episodes of A Football Life last night. Okay, but it doesn't count. Did you, you watch Tiger King or anything just, like no, that? No, I have yeah. not watched Tiger King. Just when everyone gets so excited about something, so I always push back on it. And I typically some, do too. But at some I'm point, I'll telling, circle around. I typically don't follow the fray on things like that, which is why I have never seen an episode of The Bachelor. So, if you if I fall into that category of say watch Tiger King, you should listen. You know um, I don't follow trends with TV stuff. I can barely sit still. I'm like Judd from his morning Judd rant the other day about not being able to sit still for five minutes and read a book. Yeah, I know. That's one thing that is really getting to me is all the things I should be doing when I'm watching something, an old game, whatever else. I, I keep having this feeling of, ah, I do have this book that I haven't read and I should be doing that. And then four hours go by of me watching the 1989 week 17 with the Vikings and Bengals. And I go, yeah, should have been reading that book. I mean, this game was fun, but it really did nothing for me. Uh, Boardwalk Empire is what we started last night. So we're okay. going to roll through that. And there's a lot of time to fill. There's like five or six seasons and every episode's an hour 
I'm I'm rolling with that. That is not under the category of boring. Um, but I can't get into reality shows where everyone's just upset with each other all the time. There's nothing interesting there for me. Uh, the competition committee reportedly is now thinking about that sky judge idea. Are you guys into the NFL referees having a sky judge? Yep, I love it. I think that this is something that we should have been pushing for even before they voted on the new pass interference rules a year ago now. Um, get that third-party person, and so you don't have to keep sending it to New York, and, and maybe even if you do, still be able to have somebody whose vantage point is different than the referees on the field and who can ultimately rule on the decision uh, because they're seeing it from a different perspective. And do it quickly so we don't have these massive delays. Yeah, I'm absolutely in on the idea of a sky judge. There's just too much going on at too fast of a speed for the refs on the field to be able to see and judge everything correctly. So having a pair of eyes watching on a monitor or from up above or however they plan on doing it is going to help them so much. So, yes, in on Sky Judge. All hail Sky Judge. <laughs> this- I mean, honestly, like for the if the NFL comes back this year, which we're all anticipating it's going to, um, they cannot afford to have another referee crisis. Uh, this year. I mean, it's going to be the only thing that eyeballs are potentially on for a very long time, and it's going to increase viewership. They need to get this right. They cannot afford to have the issues that they've had the last two seasons once new rules have been put in place in the offseason. The way I look at it is they've tried everything else. They tried the ridiculous pass interference thing last year. They've tried making more referees full-time. It doesn't get better. It's an extremely, extremely, if not impossible sport to effectively referee. You need that one extra sky judge person to be at least assisting. So if they see something obvious, they can buzz down. Or however you work it out, it's got to be better than what it presently is. That's the way I look at it, is sky judge can save us all. It won't make it perfect, but it can make it about as good as you can get for refereeing in any sport. Uh, Last question for you. Alden Smith is coming back to the NFL after being away for four years. Had many, many problems after being an incredible player and bursting on the scene early in his career. I want you guys to give me a recently retired player who you would love to give uh, to get back in the NFL. If this player said, I'm coming out of retirement, I'm coming back. I would love to see Patrick Willis come back. That's always been my number one answer because when I got out to the Bay Area in 16, he had been retired, I want to say, for two seasons, two or three seasons at that time. I think he actually played with Alden Smith uh, before Smith kind of had some of those issues with uh, addiction and, you know, then obviously the parting of waves with the 49ers and he went to the Raiders for a hot second. But nonetheless, I mean, can you think about a Super Bowl team from last year whose linebacker core was Fred Warner, Quan Alexander, and Dre Greenlaw. Like, how awesome would that be to have Patrick Willis in the mix there? I mean, those guys immediately rise to the level of who they're playing with, and I think he's just hes an incredible talent, and we never got to see what it would have been like had it gone the length most careers of somebody of his caliber go. But he retired before everybody else did. He might be out of the curve here in the CTE curve and you know the, the body concerns that you have post-retirement. And he's a smart guy. Jonathan? Uh, bring me back Calvin Johnson. I just miss, miss that guy at wide receiver, just being bigger than most other wide receivers in the league and just dominating quarter, cornerbacks the way he did. Granted, he was on a crappy team for most of his career, so get him out of Detroit, hopefully. But just bring Calvin Johnson back. Um, I was watching this guy play the other night, and I'm surprised neither of you said him. Andrew Luck 
Andrew Luck sure, is one of my easy. favorite okay. players. I know he's the obvious pick, but I'm going to go with the obvious pick that I will take Andrew Luck coming back out of retirement. And I'm going to hold out hope because he's not that old that four years from now at some point the guy just decides, you know, that football, I was pretty good at it, and I'm going to come back. And he joins some great team and is away for three or four years and then wins a Super Bowl or something. He was on track, in my mind, to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, an MVP, a guy who has a chance to go to the Super Bowl, on and on and on and on. And, you know, he just calls it quits because his body was too beaten up. But after he gets everything resolved with all of his injury issues, I'll hold out hope that there is some potential. Other potential options would be Gronk, of course. Sure. Even though he was around for a long time, he did not play... 10, 12, 14 years as guys who become legends and Hall of Famers usually do. And who else Luke was Keekly? I think? Yeah, Luke Keekley just decided to do this. So right, it's going to be weird that he's not playing this year. Definitely. Weird. So there you have it. Hot routes. All right, uh, Courtney, we will get together again on Tuesday. So between now and Tuesday, what's your feeling? Do we get anything happening here? I thought this week was going to be a week where stuff went down. Are we going to have to wait till draft night? For the Vikings to make moves, they've been in on a few free agents, yeah. but haven't been able to sign anybody. What's the it deal? Kind of fe- it kind of feels like we're inching closer to that. I know that. I guess the only news that came out, like serious news that came out this week, was from the league saying that you know, like what we talked with Catherine about, um, you know, where the where the Saints are going to be doing draft night. It, they put out a memo today that said that teams are either going to be able to, in limited capacity, do it at the facility, or no one is going to be able to congregate, and they're going to have to do it from home, or uh, hmm. you know, everybody's going to have to be separate. So that eliminates the idea of going to their uh, brewery or whatever. It sounds like it, but I also think that... You know, that might have been blown out of proportion. Just people see, like, brewery and they think, what? Like, but, I mean, if that was, like, a location that had, like, meeting rooms and everything like that, um, you know, that kind of, that does debunk the notion that they could all be doing that if it's not at the facility because it's either going to be remote and separated, i.e., no gathering in any off-site spaces, hotels, or personal residences, but they haven't made a decision yet. Do have the feeling that the Vikings are looking at draft night for when they could potentially move Anthony Harris if they do not come up with a contract sure. extension for him soon? Absolutely. Last year, though, the cards. They, they, I know last year with like Tra- with uh, Trey Wayne's and, and Stefan or not Stefan Diggs, Wayne's Rhodes and uh, Rhodes. Rudolph were all yeah. rumored. I, I remember how many times. Daniel Jeremiah brought up, well, they're shopping Rudolph, Rudolph yeah, out sure. there, and that never came to fruition either because their price was too high. Yeah. No, I mean, I think draft night for a lot of teams, like think about Washington's situation. They say they're not cutting Trent Williams. Well, teams will take it more seriously when they're on the clock and yes. when they can, when everybody's making moves all at once and when you have the chance to do that. Um, it feels a little bit more realistic that you're going to get closer to the compensation you want in return than doing it right now. All right. Well, Tuesday we'll get together again, and uh, tomorrow Myron Metcalf will be on. If, again, if you missed any of the show, wherever you get your podcast, just type in Purple Daily. You can listen to it all every day from there. Mackie and Judd with Rami are coming up next. We'll catch you tomorrow here on Purple Daily. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. 
The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com.